If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. The beautiful thing about the space station, there are these wonderful windows. In your off-duty time, I was just glued to the window or I would write. A big aspect of food for the crew, of course, is the nutritional components. There are certain aspects that they have to worry about in space. Fluids behave so differently in space, and so watering your plants actually can become a big challenge. Two, one, zero, all engine running. Liftoff, we have a liftoff. On Saturday, May 30th, 2020, the world held its breath as a new chapter began in space exploration. It was goosebumps time as we heard the words, let's light this candle, and the SpaceX Crew Dragon lifted off flawlessly for the International Space Station. This launch of the first commercially built spacecraft on American soil marks an exciting milestone for innovation and opportunity, as well as hope for a better future. I'm not in any way, shape, or form affiliated with NASA or SpaceX, and the Over Coffee podcast is not in any way endorsed by either of them. This episode is simply in honor of our astronauts and the innovators, past, present, and future, who make space exploration possible. So what is life like for astronauts aboard the International Space Station? On average day, we operate the space station on GMT, Greenwich Mean Time. We wake the crew up at, well, crew wake is at 6 a.m. Greenwich. NASA astronaut Doug Wheelock, who has flown aboard the ISS twice, has accumulated more than 178 days in space, according to NASA's webpage. Doug, who is a retired U.S. Army colonel, teaches astronaut candidate classes at Houston's Johnson Space Center. And at the time of our conversation during Space Apps Pasadena in 2016, he had performed six spacewalks and said he hoped to go again. And so for Houston, we're, depending on if we're in daylight saving time, so mission control is usually either five or six hours behind the crew in time. And so our first crews come in about midnight for the crew wake and and the crew operates, we operate their day and they we have crew sleep scheduled for 9.30 p.m. Greenwich every day. And what are their work days like? We try to work Monday through Friday. And so day in a life is probably much like working in a laboratory here on Earth, only at the end of the day, you, you don't go home, you just go to your, to your little personal space, your little crew sleeping quarters. The space station is traveling around the Earth at you know, 17,500 miles an hour. Dr. Joya Massa is a project scientist at NASA Kennedy Space Center. In 2014, she served as team lead as NASA developed the first ever technology for growing fresh produce aboard the International Space Station. They have a sunrise and sunset every 90 minutes. You know, the beautiful thing about the space station, there are these wonderful windows which can wreak havoc with your circadian rhythm, your sleep rhythm, but our crew quarters are in a module that has no windows, and so you just have the ambient lighting, and so when we hit crew sleep, we just turn the lights off inside the, and we just sort of had this LED kind of little arrows if you need to fly to the bathroom or something, you know, you can do that during the night, but we 
create sort of like a simulated night. It could be it could be bright and sunny outside the windows, but we have window shutters. We'll close the window shutters, and we'll turn off the lights or dim the lights, and we'll go to our sleeping quarters. And what's it like aboard the ISS when it's time to eat? A big aspect of food for the crew, of course, is the nutritional component. There are certain aspects that they have to worry about in space. NASA OSU project engineer Allison Westover says meals come in small packages, and they can be processed one of three different ways. They can either process it through thermostabilization, which is kind of the same as like an MRE-type format that they do for the military. So basically, the moisture is still there inside of the food product. They can do freeze-drying, and whenever they do that, when the crew gets the freeze-dried food up on space station, they then can either add cold or hot water to it to basically kind of reconstitute it and make it edible. And then the other option that we have is just to vacuum seal things, things like cookies and M&Ms and things like that. Allie, as she prefers to be called, is project manager for the NASA Hunch Culinary Challenge. This is an innovative educational program through a partnership with the American Culinary Federation and the Johnson Space Center Food Lab. For the NASA Hunch Culinary Challenge, high school student teams from all over the country compete to create new dishes for the astronauts. Finalists are selected, they prepare their creations for a team of judges, and the winning entry gets included in the meals sent to the International Space Station crew. And with the dishes the student teams create, as with all meals going to the ISS, there are some considerations to keep in mind. So if they had too much sodium, for example, then they're going to have problems with edema, fluid in different areas that they don't want in their body. And also, our GI tract starts slowing down a lot when we're in space in a microgravity environment. So, of course, we want extra fiber. And the last aspect that we really have to worry about, too, for food that's created for them is that it needs to be flavorful or have some spice to it because when the crew gets on board Space Station, there's a fluid shift. And if you look at their pictures, you can see that they're a little puppy-faced, and it's because the fluid is shifting up toward their head. And so it gives them a sensation of as if they had a cold. And so they're not able to smell or taste as well as they would on the ground. So therefore, we want to make sure that the food that we give them is nothing that would be considered bland so that they actually enjoy the taste. Despite the coronavirus pandemic, the NASA Hunch Culinary Challenge Program was able to complete their current competition for the 2019-2020 school year. For this particular challenge, students were asked to create an ethnic dish. According to Allie's post on LinkedIn, the top winning team from Hewitt Trustville High School in Trustville, Alabama, created Moroccan chicken tuzine. Mmm, that sounds good. And the astronauts can also enjoy some fresh-grown vegetables with their meals. The space science project on which Dr. Massa served as team lead is the ISS first vegetable production system known as Veggie. What was the absolute coolest part of getting to be the team lead on that? Hmm, that's a good question. I think there, there were two parts that I enjoyed the most. The first was when we actually had the approval for the crew to grow and eat the first set of, or the second set of lettuce, you know, the first set they weren't allowed to eat because we had to bring them back and show that they were safe to eat. But then the second set, we got approval for the crew to eat them on orbit. So that was really exciting. 
and they did that live on NASA TV, so people around the world got to watch it as well. But then the next thing, I think, was when astronaut Scott Kelly grew the zinnias and actually made a flower arrangement in space on Valentine's Day. I thought that was pretty darn awesome. Since Veggie appeared in 2014, NASA has implemented two other projects for growing plants in space, according to their webpage. Advanced Plant Habitat, or APH, is a growth chamber which uses LED lights, porous clay, and sensors by which the Kennedy Space Center ground team can monitor the plants. And now, according to NASA.gov, there's also the Biological Research in Canisters Project. This is a facility used to study the effects of space on organisms small enough to grow in petri dishes. And the research continues. I think it's kind of a challenge to keep track of what day you're on sometimes. I mean, they have schedules and everything else, but one thing that I think could be important and that I've, I've read is important is having something to watch change over time and to help mark that passage of time. And a plant, I think, could fit that role very well. And it could also give them a sense of anticipation, something to look forward to. It's going to flower. It's going to fruit. It's going to produce something you can eat. So I think all of those things could be really beneficial. But we also have to acknowledge that, you know, there might be some, you know, non-beneficial things. You know, if they get attached to the plants and the plants die, that could make them feel really bad. And we obviously don't want that. So, so we really want to understand the impact that plants are going to have for the crew. Coming back to the subject of work days, what specifically might that look like if you're working aboard the International Space Station? So the day in a life, we do a lot of science. We work out. They give us two hours each day to run on a treadmill. We have a treadmill, we have a stationary bicycle, and we have a weight machine that's kind of like resistive exercise. Each of the astronauts has a flight doctor that is assigned to them, and they're basically keeping track of their calorie counts in relation to the exercise that they also are required to do on space station. And so we try to keep two to two and a half hours of exercise every day, about six hours of science, and then the rest of the time is repairing things that have broken or or taking pictures or tweeting. It's the, all these things are at the expense of sleep and your free time. And although spacewalks may look easy, Doug says there is a crucial consideration. So the suit weighs 350 pounds. So I weigh 200 pounds, and so when I get in the suit and I go outside, my mass is the equivalent of five to 600 pounds. Everything is weightless in space, but the equation F equals MA still holds true in space, and so mass is vitally important, and the realization of distribution of mass and moving a mass around, including yourself, you have to be very cognizant of what you're doing. So if you imply a huge force to that mass, you're going to go flying off into space, which you don't want to do. And so you want to still stay connected to the spaceship. And so so every bit of movement is like a fine ballet on the fingertips. It's hard work on the ground, but in space, when you have no gravity and everything is weightless, it's more like a dance. And so there's, there's some fine choreography and cadence to operating with the suit and not get into a wrestling match with the suit because the, the suit is going to win. So I always, always in their training, we point out, it's like, now remember when you're in space, just use your fingertips, just use your fingertips, nice and easy. Slower is faster, we say. And what about leisure time aboard the ISS? Most people, and I found this for myself as well, 
in your off duty time, I was just glued to the window or I would write. I would, I started writing like poetry and short story kind of thing formats. And I talked on the ham radio to different listeners around the globe. So those were my pastimes up there. What else could leisure time look like when you're in orbit? Gardening is now possible, but... Watering your plants actually can become a big challenge. One of the biggest challenges that we've seen over and over again in different growing scenarios is that fluids behave so differently in space. You know, plants here on Earth, when we have massive rainstorms, things will get flooded and that will kill the plants. Or if we have drought, then they don't get enough water and that will kill plants. But we tend to see that enhanced in spaceflight because air and water don't mix well in microgravity and there's no there's no convection, there's no buoyancy. So getting a mix of air and water in the root zone is really tricky. Hence the sensors in the advanced plant habitat. So what are the takeaways of innovation and creativity as we enter a new era of space travel and look to going back to the moon by 2024 with NASA's Artemis mission? If you were teaching a 12-year-old girl today to inspire her the way you got inspired, what would you tell her about innovation, creativity, and making a difference? Well, I think, you know, I had a lot of wonderful mentors throughout my studies and my career, and I still have those people. And so definitely to be open-minded and to listen to the people around you and take all of the great information that they give you. What I tell young people, or any innovators of all ages actually, is to always be curious because if we stop being curious, we stop dreaming and we stop innovating. And so sometimes we we kind of box ourselves in with limitations and we build those limitations around us. And I always like talking about the concept of fear because we all face fear. Usually it's a fear of failure. Sometimes it's just a fear of being afraid, you know, or a fear of failing, or a lot of times it's it's wasted energy. And, you know, psychologists tell us that we're born with two fears, you know, with the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. And so we get on a rocket and we fly to space. And so, but we, when I think about that, I think, I don't know if that's true, but, but let's say it is true. Let's say, let's say we're only when we're a little baby, we only have the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Everything else that we're afraid of is created by us somehow, either mentally or somebody told us, you need to be afraid of this or you're no good, you'll never amount to anything. And so don't bother innovating there. So we have a fear of disappointing someone or a fear of failure, maybe. And so so my goal as a as an astronaut, what I love to do so much is to go out to our students and say, like, it's okay to fail. In fact, failing is, is how we learn, you know? And so to be able to have them strip away that fear, to understand the difference between danger and fear, you know? We, sometimes we complement one with the other, and so we're like, I'm not doing that because it's dangerous, you know? So, and so in the space business, we are in the business of managing risk and managing fear, too, because, and you have to do this. And when you're an innovator, you have to manage, it's different level of fear and different fear of different things, but you have to manage that. 
Allie, if people could only get one thing from the Hunch Culinary Challenge and from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you want that takeaway to be? That anybody can produce things for NASA. That there are not just engineers that work on projects for NASA, that we have all kinds of people that work on projects for NASA. And so we want to open up the doors and open up the minds of students and teachers to realize that there's a lot out there for them to be working on. If you're a student or teacher, you'll find more information on the NASA Culinary Challenge at nasahunch.com. That's nasahunch.com. And for more information on what's currently happening aboard the International Space Station, go to nasa.gov and in the search box type in ISS. Safe journey to the Expedition 63 crew and have fun. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X, twomavericks.com. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.